0: And welcome to the Mick Plus One podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the project-to-product movement. I'm Dr. Mick Kirsten, founder and CEO of Tasktop, and best-selling author of Project to Product, How to Survive and Thrive in the Age of Digital Disruption with the Flow Framework. Today, we have a special episode to honor International Women's Day 2020. I'm joined by three incredible women that I've had the privilege of working with. In keeping with the theme of season one, the work of each of these women was an inspiration for the Project to Product book. Gail Murphy is Professor of Computer Science and Vice President of Research and Innovation at the University of British Columbia. Gail was my PhD supervisor, co-founded Tasktop with me, and her massive impact on me and on the industry is discussed in some of the stories in the book. Nicole Bryan is the Vice President of Product Development at Tasktop. Over the years, Nicole has taught me more about product management than anyone else and continues to do so. Much of the flow framework actually came out of our discussions and conversations over the years. Naomi Lurie is Senior Director of Product Marketing at Tasktop. Naomi's work on analyzing our customers' value streams formed a key part of the book. This episode means a lot to me, and not only do all author proceeds of project to product go to supporting women and minorities in technology, I also have two young daughters. I want them to grow up in a world where decisions that determine the future of technology and important topics like AI are made by more diverse teams. At TaskTop, we've been trying to lead by example, and I really hope you enjoy hearing some of our lessons learned. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome Gail Murphy, Nicole Bryan, and Naomi Lurie to a special International Women's Day episode of the podcast. So I should mention that each of our guests today is affiliated with TaskTop. Gail was my PhD supervisor, co-founder of the company, and is now vice president of research and innovation at the University of British Columbia. Nicole runs all of product development at TaskTop and is the vice president on my staff. Naomi Lurie is a very senior individual contributor who's made some amazing contributions to the TaskTop and to the Project to Product book as well. So season one has been all about inspirations for the book, and each of these women has actually made a pretty profound impact on my work and on my career, and I'm very grateful to have them all join the podcast today. So as I was reflecting on the book itself and on my own career, I realized that it was actually a woman who inspired me to go into computer science. Gail, you'll remember that as Maria Clave. I realized actually this morning that half of the guests on this season one of the podcast are women. And perhaps that's not a surprise that there's been such a big impact on me from the research and development and career inspirations of the women who I've had the fortune to work with. But as I was touring on preparation for the book and the summary I wrote up in terms of the charitable cause for the book, which is to donate all author proceeds to programs program supporting women, minorities, in technology, I realized that a lot of other people out there in technology have not been as fortunate as I have. So I'll just never forget this one meeting I was in a top 15 bank by revenue in the world, and it was all of IT leadership, and it was all 30 men who looked very similar. Some had more hair than me, some had less hair than me, and there was one woman in the room, and these were all the heads of IT for this bank. And I was watching this because I was actually there for 90 minutes, And while there was a lot of brilliance and brainpower in the room, I don't think I've ever seen that level of groupthink as I was thinking that this bank is not heading in the right direction in terms of its technology practices, its transformation, and this really big investment it has in getting better at building software. There was a woman who was, I think, so practiced at interrupting the men who were talking over each other for this entire meeting that she did manage to contribute some and shift the conversation a little bit, but it just made me realize what I think a lot of us have realized is how far behind we still are in terms of making progress to diversity in our, especially when you get higher and higher in the leadership for these organizations. So I've asked my three guests here, Nicole, Naomi, and Gail, to start off the podcast with just telling me a bit about what inspired them to a career in technology. Gail, why don't we go ahead and start with you?
1: Okay, thanks, Mick. Thanks for having us all on the podcast and doing a focus on a topic that's really important to at least all of us, but I think important to the future of tech in general. If I think about what inspired me, I think it was really three different things. One was the power that you get in tech to be able to corral information. And this whole idea that you could have information about different domains, whether it was finance or whether it was real estate or whether it was different ways of communicating socially, And somehow when you have the ability to program and deal with that information, you really gain some power. So that was one piece for me. A second piece was the creativity that you get to have in tech because you're always building something. And that ability to bring control, bring creativity to dealing with all these information spaces and making new things happen, I think is really quite powerful. And the third thing was really, I felt like if I went into tech, I never had to grow up. So what I mean by that is the fact that you always get to build different kinds of products and projects. And so you didn't really have to decide you wanted to be a chemist, or you wanted to be a social scientist, or you wanted to study anthropology. You got to have this underlying fundamental capability to keep changing where your focus was based on what you were building. And that was really appealing and not having to sort of decide on one track, but feeling that there was a lot of flexibility. So those were really the three things that came together for me.
0: And Gail, one thing that I noticed, because as I started working with you, is that your approach to technology was different than the other people I was meeting at the time. So I had the fortune of being at Xerox Spark, and people would go through who were big names in tech and gave great and entertaining and bombastic presentations. And I was looking for where to go in the next step of my career. And I was looking at some of those people that we know from the early days of agile, from the early days of technology. And I noticed that your approach to research and to your academic contributions was quite a bit different than a lot of the people who I was seeing on stage, who I had tremendous respect for as well. But that what you were doing at that time, and these were the days of OOPSLA and programming languages, research, at least for us, was very much driven by empirical study and empirical results. We would actually had made a name for yourself in that way, that rather than coming up with theories, the theories were determined from a lot of empirical research and study of the data that was actually in the repositories that people were doing real work in. And as much as possible, open source work, but also industry work as well. Do you think that your career path was in any way affected or just the way that you and your lab differentiate itself and then inspired me and many others? How do you think that came to be?
1: You know, I think both the way that I've approached problems, but the way that everybody who's joined the group approaches problems has really been about trying to understand how we can make it easier for humans to work with computers. And for us, that's been in really the domain of software development. And if you look at how software developers work 30 years ago when I started this or how they work today, it hasn't actually changed that much. When we do observational studies of how developers work, they flip between lots of different tools, they change activities 47 or so times per hour, they change tasks something like 13 times per day, and that leads to a very particular kind of individual that does well and thrives in that environment. So it seems like we've developed an environment in which the humans, the software developers, are doing as much work for the tools that they use as the tools are doing for developers. And so for the last 30 years, we've been really looking at how do we flip that equation and really have the computers do a lot of the mundane, forward predictive kind of work that computers can do really well on data, but then they have the humans really focus their cognitive efforts on solving the questions and problems that are really of interest. So as you said, we did a lot of work with empirical studies. We did a lot of work mining repositories. And I usually joke that meant when we submitted papers to conferences, our papers were always in the miscellaneous category of the conference because we didn't really fit into the testing. We didn't fit into different areas. But I think over time, people have started to gain a better understanding of this need to understand the human aspects of software development, not only how people work with computers, but how people work with each other, because we really are trying to bring teams of people together to solve and build some of the most complex artifacts that have ever been built. So in that way, hopefully we've changed the dialogue a little bit in the research community. And over time, hopefully with the industrial community and the research community working together, we can start to build environments that are more welcoming for a much more diverse set of individuals to participate in software development.
0: I think that kind of different thinking and this completely different approach, I think, to technology is, for me, it's been a big inspiration for Gail's other students, some of whom I still get to work with. A quick story, Thomas Fritz, Gail, one of your former students, was at Task two weeks ago and is now doing studies in how to keep programmers and other knowledge workers in the flow of their work. By measuring their flow state. So I think it's just amazing work. And I think the really interesting thing is that with this approach, I think it's just become much more effective because it is looking at a much more broader and diverse set of people whose data you can actually start, thankfully, mining from the repositories that we use. So at least, Gail, are you actually saying that the data in the repositories that we're seeing is becoming more diverse or is that stretching things too much?
1: Yeah, uh, that's stretching things way too much.
0: <laughs> nice try, though. <laughs> we'll get there at some point. <laughs> Nicole, can you say a bit about what inspired you to get into technology?
2: Absolutely. I think I'd like to start by saying that I actually chickened out of starting a career in tech. And I think it's always really important, especially to be really honest about how you came to be who you are. And I was scared to go into tech because it was really not very cool growing up in Texas in the 80s to be into computers. So I kind of kept it hidden. And in fact, even though I wanted to major in computer science, I did not. I majored in political science and economics. And then a year after I graduated, I guess I had matured enough and said, wait a second, my heart is in computers. I love them. And the reason I love them is because I love solving puzzles. I view all of tech work as puzzle solving, which is super interesting and fun. I figured out how to get a little bit more confidence in myself and say, you know what, it may not be cool but this is what I'm gonna do. So for me, it's all about the joy. I cannot express how wonderful I used to feel when I had some really difficult algorithm to figure out or programming, trying to get this button to work early or whatever it was way back in the day. And that feeling of tremendous joy when it worked and you made something, Gail, to your earlier point, creative. I created something, it was so cool. To see how things, you could actually make things work and run. And I still get tremendous pleasure out of it in a very different way since I don't program anymore. But I think working in tech is a never-ending source of creative and difficult puzzle solving. So yeah, that's how I got started.
0: So Naomi, like Nicole and Gail, I spent a ton of time programming. And I used to just think tech was just programming until Nicole kept telling me over and over it takes a village. And I very, very slowly realized that other roles and specialties were involved in tech. Can you tell us, and now I realize just how important they are. (laughs) Can you tell us a bit about your inspirations and your path into technology and what inspired you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, upfront, I should say I landed in the marketing side of tech, right? So I think as a I was really inspired by all those high powered lawyers and prosecutors on LA law. They used to (laughs) walk around the halls of the courtroom in these tailored suits and high heels dominating the world, winning their cases. And they were just like really inspiring. And I knew that like, oh, that's kind of what I want to be. But I actually also, like Nicole, studied political science because I had some notion of becoming a diplomat. But when I graduated from college, it was right around the tech boom. It was two years before the (laughs) dot-com bust. And tech was the place to be. And it was like, I started to think like really practically, like, hey, I'm a fresh graduate. Like I can actually get like a high-paying job if I found a way to finagle my way into tech and the tech needs communicators, right? So I started my career actually as a technical writer in the days when nothing was online and you had to create these user manuals and then eventually got into online help. But really it was like the skill of taking these technical products and articulating them to the user in a way that can make them successful with them. That kind of turned out to be my skill, my core competency in communication. And that led me onto a pretty long career that evolved from technical writing into eventually product marketing.
0: Are there things that in today's organizations, whether you've experienced, if you've got colleagues' experience, get in the way, there are impediments in terms of you going after that inspiration and the career that you saw for yourself when you first started, be it more puzzle-solving or communication or leadership roles?
2: I'm happy to jump in because I think that if I really look back I think back to when I was in my 20s, and I actually have a pretty tremendous sense of pride at the fortitude that I showed myself that I'm not sure that I knew I had. And that was required because it was very difficult, especially because at that time, I was also working in tech on Wall Street. So that's quite a combination. And I felt like I had to hide who I was. And I had to be like the boys. And Absolutely, there were times when I thought to myself, I just don't want to do this. And then you're weighing, am I getting enough joy out of the thing that I actually love doing, yet in an environment where I'm constantly not heard, constantly feeling out of place. I never felt like I was at home when I would go to work. And then I read this book about Katherine Graham, who's my greatest inspiration in no uncertain terms. And the book taught me, don't hide who you are. You can be an emotive person and that's okay. So now I tell all the young women that I work with, this happens to almost every young woman I see come in, they get put into an environment and something happens and they get really upset in a group. And then you watch them sitting there desperately trying to not cry. And it kills me when I see that. As Naomi knows, Mick, you know, I cry at work and I'm not gonna hide that. And I don't think anyone should hide who they are or how they're feeling because it actually means that you care and that you're passionate about the work you do. But it took me a while to feel comfortable doing that, to feel comfortable to be who I really was, to feel comfortable to say, talk about my kids that I need to go help them do something. And I think that we need to, have more of that in the tech world, in the world in general. But in the tech world, it's actually the reason why Naomi inspires me is because she's able to get emotion out of our users, which is amazing to me. And I think that if we had more honesty about who people are, it would be better for the tech world. I love that Nicole raised the point about crying at work. (laughs) I think that that's
3: like probably something that it's worth saying that crying for a woman isn't a weakness, right? It's like an nope. emotional release. That's what also men kind of need to understand that. And I think women, like Nicole is saying, like we want them to know that we have different ways of expressing our frustration or our emotion or our anxiety. And sometimes it comes out in a few tears and that's okay. And it doesn't make you weak. You're not
2: weak. And it's okay. Just collect yourself and move <laughs> on. Don't be ashamed. And if you work in a place where it's not okay, then you need to get a different job. Because Mick, you've watched me cry multiple times at Time Yep. <laughs> and, and I applaud time. this for every
0: time where I was the source of the tears. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I'm very proud to work in a place that is accepting of everyone's style and approach.
1: I think another thing that can kind of be an impediment for a lot of, especially young women, is sometimes the culture within a tech environment can be all about the latest algorithm or the latest tool or the latest this or the latest that. And so much of the discussion can end up being dominated by some of those technical aspects that coworkers don't get to know each other in the ways that Nicole has been talking about. Or sometimes those people who are not as interested in absolutely you know, the latest 0.1% improvement in some algorithm <laughs> can be left out of a conversation. They still have incredible depth technically to provide to an organization, but you can start to feel like you're not smart enough or you don't really belong because you're not interested as much in maybe some of those detailed, really nuanced technical advances. And so I think it can be really hard sometimes for not only women, but people who might not be as interested in those to feel like they have a place. And it's really when we have a diversity of viewpoints coming together in a work environment, that we can start to create products that people actually want to use, that have that emotion that Naomi and Nicole were referring to. If we only focus on what the code is actually doing, we're not going to actually build things that people want to use. So trying to create that environment where lots of individuals can thrive can be a real challenge for a company.
2: And I just want to go back to what you mentioned about it takes a village, because Gail, I find that The best software absolutely does require some people that are 100% want to focus on that algorithm and that technical nuance. You absolutely need that seat at the table. Equally, you need the seat at the table of the person who is really thinking from the user perspective and honest to goodness does not care how that thing gets built whatsoever. And I think there's tremendous opportunity for more diversity of thought given those different roles. And I talk about this all the time. I almost prefer to hire product people that do not have a computer science background because they bring a completely different lens to the table. Now you need also people that do have computer science backgrounds. It takes a village, you need that mix. And I think that's the most important thing. I know when I talk to high schoolers and young people, they think that the only way to be in tech is to be a programmer. And that is absolutely not the case in any way, shape, or form. And we will all be better for it if we have more people going into tech that are not programmers.
0: So building on both those things, I've seen this over and over. And Gail, let me know if this sounds, or actually anyone, if this sounds familiar or not. But you will end up with these, let's say it's a group discussion, some important decisions that needs to get made or some plan that needs to get made or something creative, bigger having to do with a product release or something of that sort. And then you'll end up with this intellectual, I'll just call them often male, or usually or always, I don't know, bully, who's now basically going into some depths of some new framework, some new technology that no one, basically people barely understand. And then this interesting thing happens, which is people who would have ideas to contribute, unless they're this loud type A personality willing to stand up to this person, they don't. And some of the best ideas simply just aren't voiced, don't come out because this one person who's up to speed on the latest and greatest nitty detail they end up dominating the discussion. And I feel like that story I relayed at the start of the interview, that's exactly what's going on. And then if you've got multiple of those people in the room, it's just a complete disaster in terms of if you are actually an anthropologist and try to record what creative process happened in that discussion. It was nothing. It was people basically bulldozing over each other on their latest and greatest thing that they just watched on YouTube or read in some manuals or web page. So do you have any advice then given what's going on out there on how you break this in organizations. Well, Nicole, you give an example, right? If you make a space for people to communicate their passion, be it with tears or with laughter in other ways, it helps, right? I know it helps us at TaskDob to have a forum where others can speak and someone's not going to win an argument based on some extra testosterone or a little tidbit of knowledge they picked up yesterday. Any other thoughts on how we get better at this given I think it is happening and I just see it, given the number of customers I meet with, I just feel like it's as... Bad or worse than anyone imagines within, especially the larger enterprise organizations who badly need that diverse perspective, different opinions, people from basically different backgrounds where it's not just always the strongest technologists who dominates the discussion. Thoughts?
2: I'll let Gail go first and then I'll give some thoughts as well. Do you agree?
1: No, I agree. And I think you can look at it from an, at least an organizational perspective and a personal perspective. I think on the organizational side, there's so many meeting techniques that can be used for the people who are in leadership positions to really make sure that they're hearing from everybody at the meeting, that they don't just let the people that are more domineering take over a meeting, but that you really create the space. And I think it's incumbent upon the people that are running those meetings to try to ensure that that diversity that they've brought into the room can really be heard. And then on a personal perspective, I remember several times early in my career, especially where I had some great mentors and being in a meeting that's like what you described, Mick, and having one of my male colleagues lean over and say, they didn't hear you the first time you said it, say it again. And Mm -hmm. then you'd say it again, trying it a different way. And then they'd go, "Okay, they didn't quite get it yet. Can you try once more?" And you know, if they hadn't been that little actual voice, not just in my head, but like literally in my ear, I wouldn't have said it three times. And so having those allies and those people that can really help you remember that it's okay to say something multiple times. If it's said once and it's not heard, you can try again. I mean, at some point you should stop, but you, know, you can try a couple of times.
2: Gail, your first point about the onus is absolutely on the leadership of meetings whoever is leading the meetings to make sure that everyone's voice is heard and i Sadly, I see way too many meetings where the managers involved or whoever has called the meeting is not facilitating the meeting in any way where all the voices are going to be heard. Including, by the way, I find one of the most effective ways to make sure everyone's voice is heard. There are some people that are just never going to want to speak up in a meeting. It's not who they are. They do not want to do it. It makes them uncomfortable. And so in that case, talk to them afterwards. Go talk to them and get their ideas and then help them. You become the voice for them, and they're happy that way. Obviously, don't take credit for their contributions, but help in that manner. And I think that would go a long way, especially in these tech meetings where there does tend to be sometimes a fairly large group of people where the emotional intelligence is maybe not off the charts, shall I say. (laughs) Naomi, as an amazing communicator, what would you have us do? Yeah, I think that
3: you do have to overcompensate and
2: overcorrect
3: for what you know is a problem, right? So I agree with everything that you said. I think men can do some self-education on the challenges that women face in those environments. Like now with the presidential debates, right? There's all these statistics about how many times the male candidates interrupt the women candidates, right? And how imbalanced it is. And it's just like there are certain things that if you know that they're a problem, you can watch out and you can kind of self-regulate. So a little education, I think, could go a long way. And there's this other thing that I always buck against is when women are relegated to traditional roles, right? It's probably already a cliche to say women are the note takers. But especially like coming from the marketing side, I see it so much because you go to a conference, right? And there's the booth. So all the women work in the booth. If you ever work for a really big company, right, Tasktop, we use our own staff, but at a really big company, right, they hire hostesses to work the booth and scan the badges. And that just rubs me the wrong way. I want to see more diversity in those kind of typical roles that are relegated to women. I think that could be a positive shift. So the woman isn't always seen as kind of the hostess and the charmer. The line gets so blurry.
2: I want to tell a story. This actually happened at Tasktop where I attended a meeting and all of a sudden I saw that of all the people on the meeting, it was two women that were taking the notes and doing the scheduling. And what I realized is that if you don't bring attention to it, it just happens. And so one of the things that I've learned over the last, say, five years or so is pick up the phone Or do you pick up phones anymore? Okay, now everybody knows how old I am. (laughs) Facetime, Zoom the person, and just bring it to their attention. Because I can tell you, when I brought it to the attention of this person, he was mortified and was like, "Oh my God!" You know, like we're changing it immediately. And it just takes bringing the attention. You have to bring attention to it. Same as with HR, with hiring, you have to bring attention. I'm sure everyone at Tasktop is sick of me saying, "Well." How are we doing on hiring for that role? How many candidates did we get that were not white male? If you don't ask the question, attention is never going to get brought to it. And simply asking a question, because I do believe most people are good and want better for everyone and want diversity. They just need attention brought to it.
0: So could we, it'd be great, actually, at the end of this podcast, let's, Naomi, you mentioned the self-education sources. Let's make sure to list those for our listeners. So I think you've got a wealth of knowledge here. And I think a lot of people will want to check some of that work out. Gail, also the meeting techniques. I know I need more help there, right? It's just so easy for us to get into the usual patterns. Nicole, you know how to overcompensate for all of us anyway, which is fine. <laughs> I, but know. When...
2: I need self-education to stop interrupting people. <laughs> yeah.
0: But Gail, if we could also, the meeting techniques, I can imagine that's going to be a particularly relevant as well. I think either I know I need more education on and others I'm sure need some more saw sharpening on as well. So I will make sure to put those in the materials at the end. So towards the end of the episode, can you just share some thoughts about anything else in terms of how we can inspire more women, both at an individual level, at an organization level, and really at an industry level? Nicole, why don't you start?
2: Sure. This is obviously a very near and dear topic to my heart. And I spent some time crafting some concrete ideas of how we could inspire more women to both come into tech and stay in tech. And I call it Role Model Ladders, actually written a couple blogs about it. Gail, you're in my talk. The concept is really very simple and that is that you have to have every rung of the ladder filled so that you can look up and see a path. And if there's missing rungs, which tends to happen, especially the more senior you get, then you don't feel like there's a path for you. And I tell the story that is my most favorite story that my daughter, who was like 10 at the time, was unbelievably inspired by Mara, who was 19 at the time and an intern at Tasktop. Mara, I hope, was inspired a little bit by me. I was trying to mentor her and and help her. And then I look to Gail, who has been just a tremendous mentor to me. And those ladders and seeing that chain, Bailey cannot see, my daughter cannot see Gail and see a path. That's way too far in between. She can see Mara and see, oh, Mara's doing cool stuff. Mara can then see me. I can see Gail. And that's how if we can create more of these role model ladders, I really think it can change dramatically organizations. So that's what I recommend.
0: Naomi?
3: I think my advice would be to women. I mean, there are surely plenty of women who are starting in tech. I think Don't be shy. I'm shy, especially was when I started my career. I was kind of like shy about like asking about like salary and options and bonuses and being happy with what I was given and never realizing that I was probably treading water while more aggressive. Other people were taking initiative, but there was nobody to tell me this is how it is. And if you don't start asking for things, you're not going to get them. So I think that, I guess it's twofold on the one hand for the women, I'd like to say, like, don't be as shy and meek and don't be worried about that you're not pleasing and kind of you have to look out for number one, right, for yourself. But at the same time, if you're a woman in an organization who knows some stuff, take the younger one under your wing and inform her and educate her and bring her up to speed so she isn't a victim of like these huge pay gaps and stuff that, unfortunately, I do believe still exist.
1: Gail? wow, it's hard to follow two such excellent pieces of advice. I guess building on them for young women, like follow your passion. If I go back to Nicole's comments about not following tech when maybe she was at the very start of her career, but finding it later, if you're passionate about it, give it a try. There's lots of different opportunities in tech these days. So follow your passion and do it. I think for women that are in tech, like Naomi and Nicole and I, I love Nicole's role model ladders. It's been really hard for me, but you have to figure out how to put yourself out there a little bit and to tell your story, whether it's the emotion parts of it or the feeling like you don't belong parts of it, so that other people realize that that's just natural and normal. And it's part of being part of any culture, but especially for women in tech, we tend to feel it a bit more strongly. And then the value of having folks like you, Mick, in actually joining and discussing the topics and making a welcoming environment for people of all different capabilities and diversity to come into tech, that's when we're really gonna change the equation and be able to build the kind of products and have the kind of culture that we really need to have for all of these kinds of organizations to thrive.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Thank you all. I want to ask you just one more thing. I'm a huge fan of what Nicole's doing with the role model ladders, how we can support. And I think it's for those people who haven't seen her go-to talk, Nicole, what was that 2018 or 2019? It's on YouTube, but it's yeah. look for Nicole Bryan, G-O-T-O, and you'll find it. Gail, a lot of, I think, the people listening will not have that next rung, potentially, in the ladder. Do you have any particular advice? Because I think the amazing trajectory of your career, I think, is an inspiration to many. So how do you do it when you've got some pretty big rungs missing?
1: I'd love to hear what Naomi and Nicole say about this, but I think it's a little bit what Naomi said. You have to put yourself out there a little bit and go ask people. Most people are quite willing to engage, and they might be male or they might be female. They just have to be the right individuals to help you. And I still have people that I look to as well to help me think about doing things that I might not otherwise consider taking on and having that understanding that the next step is really not as big a leap often as you think. It's just really about finding those people that you can have a connection with and talk to and just asking often for a little bit of help.
3: Yeah, I would just add that like, if you're competent, you are deserving and you are deserving of your next step in your career. So if you trust that you're competent, then don't be shy and ask to take that next step. There's always room for competent people to move up.
2: And I also encourage young women that even though there are missing rungs, most senior women are way more than happy. Like I talked to our SE1s, They're one year out of college. There's a number of rungs in between them and what I do. But don't think you can't go talk directly to me and say, how did you do this? How do I get through this? So don't underestimate that senior women really want to help. They desperately want to help others. And asking men as well, how did they get to that rung? Just ask. People want to help others, I believe. Mm -hmm.
0: For the women in senior positions listening, Nicole, why don't you just share what you started last week at TaskTop, because I think it is a potentially useful tool for others. So
2: what I started is I'm a big advocate of just having conversations and bringing attention to things. And so we started a women in tech discussion time, open discussion time once a week for an hour for anyone at TaskTop to come and talk. And the most interesting thing was that the first two people that signed up were two of my male colleagues, which made me very, very, very happy and we had a terrific conversation. There's no goal, there's no like, this is the outcome of every conversation, but it's just starting the conversations and that in and of itself is helpful. We've just started it, hopefully other people will find it useful as well, but I was super encouraged that two men signed up for the first one, made me
0: happy. That is great. And I think if you could share your sources, some of these materials that we mentioned, we'll put them at the end of the podcast. But thank you so much, Nicole and Naomi and Gail, for sharing your wisdom here. I think you've got a lot of people who are going to learn a lot from this. I know I'm going to listen to it again, because there is just so much amazing that you shared here. So thanks so much for joining. Thanks again for all your contributions to this project-to-product movement and reviewing the book and all your ideas that are in there. And with that, we'll wrap up the podcast and the materials will follow.
2: Thank you, Mick. Right. Thanks, thank Mick. you
0: an enormous thank you to gail nicole and naomi for their incredibly inspirational and thought provoking conversation and one that i will go back to listen to for years to come a full list of resources that were mentioned throughout the episode can be found at project podcast if you have any questions or require for the resources please reach out to myself on twitter mick underscore kirsten or through gail's twitter gail underscore murphy nicole's which is at nicole Bryan, or naomi's which is at naomi Lurie. you can also follow the hashtag mick plus one for the latest podcast updates and don't forget i have a new episode every two weeks be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out you can also search for project a product to get the book and remember that all author proceeds go to supporting women and minorities in technology thanks and see you next
1: time